0: Section 12 of A Brief History of Forestry by Bernard for now. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. France. Continued. 5. Forestry Science and Practice Until the 16th century, whatever regulations had been issued regarding forest use were merely administrative or police character, and had nothing to do with the management or silviculture except perhaps so far as the number of bellivoltes reserved trees to be left might be considered as bearing upon the subject the reformateurs who were from time to time appointed had to deal only with judicial questions and abuses and usually the ordinances referred only to special forests but in fifteen sixty three the table de marbre of paris issued instructions which were to serve in all forests a futile attempt to secure statistical knowledge of the forest domain was made apparently with a view to regulation of the cut by de fleury the chief of the forest service in fifteen sixty one in default of data from many of the maitrice a provisional partial order to regulate the cut was issued in fifteen seventy three which remained in force for a hundred years and was regularly disregarded extraordinary cuts being made without authority and with the connivance of the officers an ordinance of fifteen seventy nine describes the deplorable condition of the forest at length and calls for statistical data but again without result a number of further ordinances also made no impression upon the callous and corrupt officials of the forest service the first-class attempt to secure more conservative forest use and to regulate the cut was made by henry the fourth in instituting a commission and as a result of its report issuing his general order of rouen in fifteen ninety seven a highly interesting document giving insight into conditions and opinions of the foresters of that period it also remained without any result whatsoever repeated replacement of the higher officials had no more effect than the issuance of ordinances not until colbert's vigorous reform in 1669 came a change in conditions meanwhile some forestry notions had been developed a sequence of felling areas in the coppice enhanced an area division an idea of rotation and of the exploitable age ten to twenty years although sometimes down to three and four years The leaving of overwood which became obligatory in the royal domain and a kind of regulation of its age forty years too short according to one writer of the time to furnish valuable trees and some proper considerations of its selection in the timber forest the fellings proceeded by area in regular order from year to year leaving a prescribed number of marked seed trees at least six to eight per acre on such areas as were outside the rights of user and removed from the likelihood of depredations the felling age being at least one hundred years, under the notion that the oak, the most favored species, grows for one hundred years, keeps vigorous but stands still for another hundred, and declines in a third hundred. Sowing of acorns on prepared ground was also ordered in the sixteenth century, and perhaps occasionally done. Young growths were sometimes protected by ditches or fences against cattle, although objections were raised against the former as impeding the chase. A diameter limit sometimes reserved all oak and beech two feet in circumference at six inches from the ground, the height of the stump. Even improvement cuttings, called resepage are on record in Normandy, mainly for the purpose of cutting out softwoods and freeing the young, valuable reproduction repeated in decennial returns. Later thinnings assumed the character of selection fellings and indeed received the name of jardinage. They were continued until the time for final cut and regeneration had arrived. In the coniferous mountain forests, selection-cutting, pure and simple, was the rule. It appears, then, that quite sane notions of silviculture existed, albeit they may not have been very generally and very strictly carried out. Especially during the 16th century, the mal-administration of the royal domain brought with it a decadence of the practice in the woods, the area of the coppice increased by clear-cutting at the expense of the timber forest, and by Colbert's time. All forestry knowledge had well nigh become forgotten. The Forest Ordinance of 1669 attempted to reform not only the administrative abuses, but to improve the method of exploitation hitherto practiced, at least in, put in writing, codified, as it were, the best usage of the time. A commission of 21 was instituted to make working plans and prescribe the practice. The prescriptions had reference both to management and silvicultural practice. A felling budget, état d'assiette, was prescribed annually by the Grand Maître, for each Garderie, district, and felling areas were also sometimes, but not always, definitely located. Besides, extraordinary fellings might be ordered. The Garderies were divided into triages now called cantons, management classes or site classes under different rotations, and the fellings proceeded in each triage in sequence. In each felling area, as had been supposedly the practice, at least eight seed trees per acre, and generally sixteen, besides those under the diameter limit, were to be left. The method, a tier et air, intermediary fellings, thinnings, were avoided and frowned down upon, probably because of the abuses to which they had given rise. Meanwhile, their need grew more and more, especially in those places where the felling method did not produce satisfactory regeneration, and soft woods impeded the development of the better kinds. To improve the chances for valuable regeneration and to keep the softwoods down, the foresters proposed a reduction of rotations from 100 to 50 and even 40 years, and as with each felling the number of reserve trees had to be left, the forest assumed a form resembling the coppice under standards. In the coniferous forest of the mountains, Fir, which in Colbert's time appear almost like a new discovery to his reformers, the selection forest with a diameter limit, e.g. six-inch at the small end of the twenty-one-foot log was the method most generally in vogue and is still to a large extent the method in use but somewhat better regulated and modified sometimes with improvement fellings added in some parts especially in lorraine for a time artificial regeneration and a strip system were tried and even a group selection with a regeneration period of probably twenty-five to thirty years and an exploitable age of one hundred years was practised in the eighteenth century Buffon, in 1739, proposed a treatment for the pineries to secure natural regeneration by cutting one-third to one-half, leaving 40 to 50 seed-trees per acre, while Duhamel, 1780, considers selection method best for larch and pine as well as fir, although pine might, like oak, be readily reproduced by sowing. While system and orderly progress of fellings in selection forests had gradually been established during the Revolution, this was largely disregarded and unconservative fellings became the order. Guillaume's Manuel Forestier, published in 1770, gives a good idea of the status of forestry at that time. It appears that for timber forest, mostly royal woods, rotations varying from 60 to 200 years, for coppice from 10 to 20 years, were in use on the royal domain that fellings were regulated according to species, soil quality, and the most advantageous yield. To facilitate regeneration, a superficial culture of the soil is also advocated. The prescription of Colbert's ordinance, to leave a certain number of seed trees, no matter for what species or conditions of soil or climate, had as early as 1520 been pointed out as faulty by one of the grand masters, Tristan de Rostang, who had recommended a method of successive fellings. This prescription applied pretty nearly uniformly as a matter of law removed from their officials all spirit of initiative and desire or requirement of improving upon it no knowledge beyond that of the law was required of them hence no development of silvicultural methods resulted from the seventeenth and eighteenth century the seed trees left on the felling areas grew into undesirable and branchy wolves injuring the aftergrowth or else were thrown by the wind or died and many of the areas became undesirable brush. Not until the first quarter of the 19th century was a change in this method proposed through men who imported new ideas from Germany. When the inefficiency of the Matera tier et ar was recognized, the only remedy appeared to lie in a clearing system with artificial reforestation, recommended by Riemur and Duhamel. And, indeed, the Ordinance of 1669 recognized the probable necessity of filling up fail places in that manner. Yet the success of plantings in wastelands does not seem to have brought about much extension of this method to the felling areas. As late as 1862, Clavey, complaining of the conditions of silviculture in France, and of the ignorance regarding it, refers to the clearing system as method allemande, the German method. The shelterwood system, la method du renommement, was introduced in theory from Germany by Lorentz in 1827, was hardly applied until the middle of the century indeed the promulgation of this superior method cost Lorentz his position in eighteen thirty nine and other officers suffered similarly for this german propaganda in this statement we follow clavet and other authors hoffel takes exception to this conception of the origin of the shelterwood system because he finds in some documents allusion to a modified application of the tir- et air method which might be construed into shelterwood regeneration indeed 1770 and feren de Fénil, 1790 describe methods of procedure which resemble somewhat this method of regeneration but as the method of successive fellings was practiced in germany since 1720 and fully developed in all its detail by 1790 hartisch formulating merely into rules what was long practiced it is likely that the french authors had heard of it moreover in another place volume three page two seventy one hoffel says quote, At this time, 1821, one made several tentative regeneration cuttings by successive fellings according to the new formula, but without success. At the present time, large areas of coppice and of coppice with standards characterize the holdings of the municipal and private owners, and the selection forest still plays a considerable part, even in the state forests, the method of shelterwood in compartments being still more under discussion than found in practice. The main credit for advance in silviculture direction, which belongs to the French foresters in particular, is the development of new and fertile ideas regarding the operations of thinnings. Here, the differentiation of the crop into the final harvest, la haut and the nurse crop, le bas, see page 105, and the differentiation of the operations, par la and par la bas, seems to have been for the first time described by Bob in 1887. Indeed, the theory of thinnings, at least, seems to have been well understood by Buffon who advanced his theories in a memoir to the Academy of France in 1774, and gives a very clear exposition of the value of thinnings and improvement cuttings. Nevertheless, thinning practice, while often accentuated in the literature, is too often omitted in practice, or exercised only in long intervals, while otherwise silvicultural practice is excellent, especially in the coppice. Most valuable lessons may be had, especially from the experience in converting coppice into timber forest. At the International Congress of Silviculture, convening in connection with the Universal Exposition in nineteen hundred, supposedly the best home talent was re- represented, but it cannot be said that anything new or striking or promotive of the art or science transpired, the desirability of establishing experiment stations outside the one in existence at Nancy, established in eighteen eighty two, and the desirability of constructing yield tables still required arguments at this meeting. In the direction of forest organization, it is stated by Clavey that in 1860 only 900,000 acres of the state domain were under a regulated management, namely 380,000 acres in timber and 520,000 in coppice with standards, leaving about 1,500,000 acres at that time still merely exploited. The same writer states that of the corporation or communal forests, hardly any are under management for sustained yield and private forest management is not mentioned in this connection. Even today, less than one-third of the total area is under systematic control. In 1908, still, about 14% of the state forests were without working plans and 15% in selection forests. The method of forest organization employed, outside of the crude determinations of a felling budget in the selection forest, is an imitation of Cotta's combined area and volume allotment, with hardly any attempt at securing normality introduced in eighteen twenty five. Characteristic and differing from the German model is the practice of actually co locating in each district (canton) the periodic felling areas (affectations) on the ground so as to secure a schematic felling series or a periodic block (sérieux); this is done often at great sacrifice. Lately various more pliable modifications have come into vogue-Metat de la Faction unique, and freer methods, méthode du quartier de regeneration, somewhat similar to Eudyck's stand management, are proposed. Altogether working plans such as elaborated in Germany are rare, and yield tables are still looked upon by Hoffel as doubtfully useful. The management of the state forests is extremely conservative, large accumulations of old stock, the holding over of one quarter for reserve, and high rotations— only apparently based on maximum volume production, since the statistical data are scanty, are characteristic. The opposite conditions appear in the private forests. 6. Education and Literature In the earlier times, the service established was, as we have seen, often, nay, mostly, in incompetent hands. The offices of forest masters were purchasable, were given to courtiers as benefices, and became hereditary in all these higher professional knowledge was unnecessary the ignorance of the subordinates was as great as that of their german counterparts but lasted longer hardly any book literature on the subject of forestry developed before the nineteenth century and educational institutions had to wait until long past the beginning of that century the first and up to the present only forest school came into existence after a considerable campaign directed by Baldry l'art chief of division, Administration Générale de Fores, and professor of political economy. His campaign in the Annales forestières, the first volume of which appeared in eighteen o eight, and in other writings as in his Dictionnaire des Hauts et Fores, eighteen twenty five, led to the establishment of the forest school at Nancy in eighteen twenty five. The first director of this school, Bernard Lorentz, having become acquainted with and befriended by G. L. Hottish and his assistant, Afterwards, his son-in-law and successor, Aldor Parade, having studied under Cota, 1817-1818, in Tarrant, this school introduced the science of forestry as it had been, been developed in Germany. But later generations under Nanquette, Bagnerie, Broyard, Poppe, and Pouton, imbued with patriotism, attempted in a manner to strike out on original lines." As a consequence of the unpatriotic German tendencies in its first directors, the continuance of the school at Nancy was several times threatened, there being friction between the administration of the school and the service, which in 1844 came to a climax, agents in the service being employed without preparation in the school, a condition which lasted until 1856." Even to date, an active service of 15 years is considered equivalent to the education in the school for advancement in the service. In 1839, Lorenz was disgracefully displaced, in spite of his great merits, because he advocated too warmly the application of the superior system of regeneration under Shelterwood to replace the coppice and selection forest, an incident almost precisely repeated in the state of New York in abandoning its state college at Cornell University and in other respects the two cases appear parallel. Parade, the successor of Lorentz, being imbued with the same heretical doctrines, was constantly in trouble, and in 1847 a most savage attack in the legislature was launched which threatened the collapse of the school. This condition lasted until Parade's death, in 1864, when Nanquette assumed guidance of the school and steered in more peaceful waters by avoiding all ideas at reforms and innovations but otherwise improving the character of the school and introducing the third year study. But he, too, was much criticized, and in difficulties until 1880, nor was Pouton, his successor free from troubles, until in 1889 a new regime and new regulations were enacted. According to others, a reviewer of this volume, the difficulties which befell the institution were financial ones, quote, The too rapid conversion into timber forest reducing receipts, which the Minister of Finance resented." Guillot's history of the school, however, leaves little doubt of the above interpretation being correct. In the case of the State College at Cornell University, a later historian might similarly claim financial difficulties, the school having actually been closed for lack of appropriation. Nevertheless, political trickery was the real cause of this lack." The school is organized on military lines. The students who intend to enter the state service are chosen from the graduates of the Institut National Agronomique of Paris, only a limited number being admitted. It has twelve professors, two for forestry, two each for natural science, mathematics, and one each for law, soil, physics, and agriculture, for military science, and for German. A three-year course which includes journeys through the forest regions of France leads to government employment. Indeed. The first paid position as god-general Statiaire is attained after two years' study and before leaving school. For several years, 1867-1884, to 1884, English students preparing for the Indian service received their instruction here, and 380 foreigners have received their education in this school since its foundation. For the education of the lower grades, an imperial rescript ordered the establishment of several schools which were, however, never organized. In 1863 were proposed and in 1868 opened four schools, where efficient forest guards were to secure some knowledge that would assist them to advancement. Three of these schools persisted until 1883. In 1873, an additional school for silviculture for the education of underforesters was organized at Bar Villmohen, where annually a limited number of students are permitted to enter. This institution has persisted to date. The French forestry literature has never been prolific, and to this day occupies still a limited amount of shelf room. The first book on record is a translation of the well-known volume of the Italian, Peter de Crescentius, translated at the instance of Charles V in 1373. In the 16th century, we have reference to an encyclopedic volume, probably similar to the German Hausfette, by Oliver de Serre. Théâtre d'Agriculture et Messinage de Champs, in which a chapter is devoted to the forests. During the 18th century, just as in Germany, the Camerales, we have seen in France a number of high-class writings, not by foresters, but by savants or students of natural history, the names of Ruyamour, Drumel, Buffon, and Michaud, appearing with memoirs transmitted to the Academy of France, the highest literary and scientific body of men on subjects relating to forestry. Riaumur, in his Reflexions sur l'état de forêt, in 1721, recommended the conversion of coppice forests into timber forest by a system of thinnings, but it is evident that his words were not heard beyond the Academy. Duramel, in 1755, 1764, and 1780, repeats the recommendation of Riaumur in his three memoirs, semi plantation, Exploitation des bois, and Traité de la physique des arbres, in which he exhibits considerable learning, while Buffon, the great naturalist, in 1739 and after, presented several memoirs on forestry subjects full of excellent advice. Faren de Fenil, another one of the academicians, but also one of the conservators, is on record with two memoirs in 1790 and 1791 on the management of coppice and timber forests in which also the theory of thinnings was well developed. But among the foresters of the service there seems not to have been sufficient education to appreciate these writings, or with the exception of Guyot, with his Manuel Frostier, 1770, to bring forth any contributions to the literature and art until the 19th century. In 1803 we find the first encyclopedic volume in Traité de l'Allemangement des Forêts, which was followed in 1805 by a very incorrect translation of Artich Lerbouc, both by Art. Professor of political economy, who also published in twelve volumes his prete Generale des hauts et Forêts, Pertuis in seventeen ninety six, and Jallet, a forester in eighteen o seven, also brought out treatises on forest management, which include all branches of the subject. According to Hufel, the foresters of this period, Louis the XV fifteenth and sixteenth, were of superior character, and forestry in France was the first in the world the writings of french authors were being translated into german and studied by foreign foresters he has to admit however that the majority of these authors were not really members of the forest service in eighteen thirty six appeared parade's a corps elementaire de culture de bois an excellent book recording the teachings of hartish and cotta this seems to have been all sufficient until eighteen seventy three at least such things as yield tables are still a mere wish when tassi wrote his *Etude*, etc in 1858, while de Salamand a little later reproduced Kotze's yield tables. And to this day, this needful tool of the forester is still almost absent, at least in the literature of France. Nanquette, broyard Barnerie, Pouton, Russe, Bopp, all directors or professors at the forest school, enriched the French literature by volumes on silviculture and forest management. And Henri on soil physics, he also translated from the German Volnese, de composition des matières organiques it is claimed by guillot that a truly french science of forestry dates from broyard's corps de management in 1878 de moncy's reboisement des montagnes 1882 is a classic volume of more modern book literature may be mentioned three voluminous publications namely Traite des arbres by mouillefer 1892 to 1898 in three volumes and traité d'exploitation commerciale des bois by maty in two volumes and guillot's corps de droite frestier in two volumes a very complete work on valuation of damage under the misleading title in saintier and forêt was published by Jacot in 1903 but the latest and perhaps most ambitious work in the french language and especially of intense interest from the historical point of view Tracing not only the development of forest policies but of silvicultural and managerial practices in France is G. Hufell's Economie forestière in 3 volumes published 1904 to 1907 There should not be forgotten as among the non-professional promoters of forest questions Chevandier a chemist and manufacturer who in 1844 made investigations regarding the influence of irrigation on wood growth and on the influence of fertilizers and in connection with that time laid the foundation for timber physics. One bi-weekly magazine, Revue des Hauts et Forêts, in existence for 50 years, the successor to the Annales Horstier, began in 1808, satisfies the need of current literature, besides the journals of various forestry associations, among which the Bulletin de la Société de France Comte et Belfort has for a long time taken a prominent rank. A very active propagandist, literary, and association work has within the last decades been inaugurated, and forestry associations of local character abound. Among these, the Touring Club, a sporting association with some 16,000 members and 364 branches, is active by writing out prizes and promoting wasteland planting. Through its agency, some 4,000 acres had been planted by 1910, some 900 nurseries furnishing plant material. An active section of silviculture in the Société des de some time ago absorbed the Forestry Association and is also doing practical work in the direction most needed, improvement of forestry practice among private woodland owners. 7. Colonial Policies The French possess extensive colonies in Africa, Asia, America, and Oceania, covering not less than 4 million square miles with over 90 million people to some of which, at least, they have extended some features of their forest policy, notably in Algeria, Tunis, Indochina, and Madagascar. Algeria, which was conquered in 1828, is about four-fifths of the size of France, but only 5.5% is forested. Besides the desert, there are two forest regions, the northern slope, the so-called Tell, abutting on the Mediterranean which, with 20% forested, contains the most valuable forests of cork oak, various other oaks, and Aleppo pine, in the high plateau to the south, a region of steppes with about six percent forested, mostly with brushwood. The adjoining Tunis also contains some two million acres of forest, a part of which clothed with the valuable cork oak. Although the population does not exceed five million, import of wood from Sweden and elsewhere to nearly $1 million in amount is necessary, the first advancement in civilization led to widespread destruction of the originally larger forest area, fire and pasture being especially destructive. Before the French occupation, the eight million acres of forest were all, as usual in the Mussulman's empires, the property of the sultan, but were used like communal property by the people. By 1871, the larger portion, some six million acres, remained in possession of the state, much encumbered by rights of user. At the same time. Considerable areas, some 700,000 acres, had been ceded to communities outright, and others, 1.25 million acres, had been sold to private parties. At first, these latter lands were let for exploitation of the cork oak on 40-year leases, later extended to 90 years with indemnities for damage by fire, an incentive to allow these to run, until in 1870 the fire damage having become onerous. All areas burned after 1863 were gratuitously ceded to the contractors. More than one-third the areas involved, and the other two-thirds were then sold at a ridiculously low price, and under the easiest conditions of payment, in the same shameful manner in which the timberlands in the United States were given away. In 1836, a forest administration for the state domain was inaugurated, but the unfortunate division of powers between military and civil authorities was a hindrance to effective improvement of conditions. The fire ravages of 1871 led to a thorough reorganization under the direction of Tassi in 1873. Nevertheless, in 1900, Lefebvre, inspector of forests in his book Les Forêts Algerie, still complains that the forests are being ruined, especially by pasturing. The means allowed the administration being too niggardly measured. The Forest Code of the home country and special laws enacted from time to time applies. The administration of the state and communal forest is directly under the Home Department and is regulated in similar manner. A reorganization and a special forest code for Algiers was enacted in 1903. This legislation relies still largely on the general principles of the Code of 1827. The most interesting features are the provision for expropriation, in addition to the state domain of forest, the preservation of which is of public interest and the rigorous forest fire legislation, which permits the treatment of incendiaries as insurrectionists, makes the extinction of forest fires a duty of the forest officials, and provides the forcible establishment of fire lines or rides between neighbors. In the forests placed under the forestry regime, permits from the governor-general are required for clearing. For the administration of these properties, the state receives 10% of the gross yield. Reforested hilltops or slopes and sand dunes are relieved from taxes for 30 years, burnt areas for ten years in the other african possessions unregulated exploitation of the tropical forests largely for by-products like kuchuk cola and fine furniture woods is still the order of the day except in madagascar which with twenty five to thirty million acres of tropical forest area was in nineteen hundred provided with a forest service which is under the minister of colonies here a license system is in vogue giving concessions to exploit limited areas for a given time at an annual rent of less than 1% per acre per year. The concessions run from 5 to 20 years and on 12,500 acres or more, the time of their duration being extended from the lowest term for one year for every 2,500 acres. Police regulations and fines are intended to check abuses and to regulate the rights of users exercised by natives. In Indochina, Cochin-China, Cambodia, Annam, Tonkin, the total forest area is still unknown. Only that of Cochin-China with 2.5 million acres and of Cambodia with 10 million acres can be stated, and Cochin-China seems to possess the only approach to a forest service. Although it is estimated that in 1901 in the whole of Indochina with 18 million people, some 85 million cubic feet of wood were cut, nine-tenths firewood, an import of over $200,000 worth of workwood from Europe was needed. The first attempts at regulating forest use in these Asiatic possessions date back to 1862, when exploitation was confined to delimited areas. The administration, however, remained inefficient, and under impracticable and heterogeneous orders which were issued from time to time, devastation progressed with little hindrance. For Cochin, China, a more definite forest policy was formulated in 1894-95 when not only the state domain but also the private forest property was placed under the Régime Forestier. The supervision of the private forest consists in requiring the marking of trees to be cut by government agents, and a permit for their removal. The state forests are of two classes, reserves in which all cutting is forbidden, only some two hundred thousand acres, and those in which licenses to cut may operate. Such licenses are given for one year and for a price of one hundred piastres, the villagers have free use of the less valuable woods, their only obligation being to assist in the protection against fire and theft. A real forest service was not instituted until 1901, a director with four assistants being placed in charge under the Department of Agriculture. Until recently, reports of the deplorable condition due to the absence of technical management reached the outside, but lately, 1911, the Governor-General discussing the situation not only speaks approvingly of the Forest Service, which on the two million acres under its immediate management had, by 1909, trebled the revenue, but talks of extending its activities to planting up waste places in order to secure favorable water conditions for irrigating lands. The rest of the colonies are being merely exploited. End of section 12. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.